Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant Podcast. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. I want to particularly welcome those from my Forgiving Path podcast. Uh, you might have heard I'm putting it on a hiatus for a little while so that I could focus my efforts on the Gospel Rant podcast, but also my new podcast for Christian parents called Good Enough Parent, which I am launching at the end of July. Should be a lot of fun. Boy, we sure need some help in that with all the pa- pandemic and and uh, stuff going on in the world. Christian parents, man, they are really, really hurting. So we want to help uh, there will be an online resource called Good Enough Parent in conjunction with that. And uh, it's all no charge. We really want parents to take advantage of that. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're so excited about it. Now, for you who have just joined us, this is a rant versus a Bible study or sermon. We're going to go places that most dare not and don't necessarily think. Matter of fact, don't think of a three-point sermon with three-point application. I guess it could happen. But not often. If you want that, go to church on Sunday. We want you, our listeners, to think deeply. We want you to be part of the process, and we want you to to squeeze the biblical text and ask questions, and I'm going to try to model that for you. And look, you can do this. I know you can, and we will all benefit from it. And I'm going to try to make it a dialogue. I mean, if we were all in the room, I'd be asking questions, but I get it. This is a one-sided dialogue. Uh, I'm going to have to guess what your questions are, but you will hear me say fairly regularly, I hope, you may ask or one hearing this might ask, those kind of things. So I'm trying to pick your brain without you being here and ask your questions. I may not have an answer, but uh, I will say so if I don't, or I might just have a suggestion. We'll see. So like any rant, you just sit there, listen, weigh it, study it, look at the passages, maybe look at them differently, think and see if what I'm saying or ranting has has merit. Okay, before we plunge in, many of you already know that the Gospel Rant is now partnering with Life Audio with this podcast. So means a few changes. That first one is we have a sponsor. So we want that sponsor to yak a little bit, but we will be back. So stick around. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, welcome back. We looked at Matthew 5, 18 to 19 last time, and here they are again. For truly, Jesus says, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a jot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's Frederick Dale Bruner. He has a great commentary on Matthew. He says, Jesus was, quote, anticipating two mistaken objections that, one, Jesus came on the one hand to set aside the law and the prophets, or on the other hand, two, to say the same thing that the law and the prophets said, but this time say it a little more colorfully. No, Jesus came neither to cancel nor to color the Hebrew scripture. He came to fulfill it. One, by his deeper obedience to it, and two, by his own deeper interpretation of it. Hence, Disciples are asked now to keep a reinterpreted law that has been fulfilled for them by Jesus. There is gospel in the first part of this first command because of Jesus's successfully fulfilled work. The law is no longer over disciples like a threatening hammer. It is now under them like an honoring red carpet. Oh my goodness, I like that. I like that last part. All right, let's look at Matthew 5.20. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, exceeds is parasoio. It's really more than exceeds. It's exceeds in overabundance. It overflows. It is obviously more than the scribes and the Pharisees. He has to be smirking when he says this. I mean, that's how I imagine it. And uh, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Remember, kingdom of heaven is that idiom for in the embrace, the loving embrace of God, relationship, covenant, security in the uh, in the eyes of God, in the relationship to God. So your righteousness has to, in overabundance, I mean, far outshine that of the scribes and Pharisees, the professional righteous people, the people who woke up dedicated to doing righteousness according to the Torah. Jesus says, man, they're not even close. Uh, you have to do better if, if you want to get God to smile at you. Here's Helmut Tielecki. Quote, every man who would go to this father must first pass through the most dreadful of danger zones. Every man must face the eyes of the judge. Every man must face this question, a question which is utterly intolerable without Christ. What do I look like in the light of the law of God? And if I must see myself so even for a moment, what do I look like in God's eyes? Close quote. Oh my goodness. What do I look like? It's, look, what what do I think? If I saw God right now and looked into his face, the judge, what, am I, what would I think he would look like? Would he be disappointed? Would he be angry? Would he be uh, disgusted with me? You know, I know biblically what must happen, but my critical inner voice says, yeah, maybe, maybe not. So here's the question. What do the Pharisees look like in God's eyes? Well, Jesus, again, I think tongue in cheek, smirking, knowing what he knows and why he came. He knows the deep, dark secrets of the Pharisees' brain and hearts. And not just the Pharisees, but they're the ones who are putting themselves up as high models. They're the high bar. I mean, reach reach us is what they're saying implicitly. I'm not saying they're evil, but that is what they're implying. Here's Tealicky again. Quote, the point is that God sees deeper than our normal foolish eyes that merely linger on the surface of things. He sees any thoughts that are on the ready for murder and adultery. He sees the consuming jealousy that is eating us as we shake hands with our competitor outwardly and secretly wishes he were in Jericho. He sees impure glances. And by the way, uh, Jesus is going to mention that later. We get in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So he sees the impure glances and the furious eagerness of our imagination. And when we go a step deeper into the witch's cauldron of the unconscious from which our life is so largely controlled and in which are brewed the dreams that horrify us, the picture looks even more sinister. But we ask, does not all this, the thoughts of the heart, the unconscious mind, the part that understands and controls, or must I not say, this too is I? So he's saying, is is this something that I can't control or is this me? And uh, Tealicky says, no, these are my thoughts, my imaginations. This is my murdering and lying and adultery, even though these things never see the light of day. So even the most righteous on the outside, the Pharisees, who worked really hard at this, and many, 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 I'm sure were well-meaning, wanted to gain God's favor, wanted God's favor to return to Israel, but they weren't even close. So Jesus is going to say that the law is concerned with these things, not just the actions, not just the actions, but everything, right? The Pharisees can't hear this. They can't. It's an identity level stuff. It's too much. It risks public failure for them. It risks public shame for them. They would have to admit that nothing they've done was good enough. Nothing. Nothing. So here we go. You might be asking, see, I said uh, in my intro that I would do this. So I'm, I'm going to ask a question that I think some of you would ask. If, if we can't do it, why did God make it a command? That seems pretty cruel, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> and, and here's the thing is, technically, it's not right to say that we can't do these things. Apparently we can, but that does describe how it appears humanly. Uh, check out Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 and following. I mean, here God answers that question. He says, and this is all in the, the blessings and curses section, where he outlines that you have to do these things perfectly. And this is what he says. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Oh, man, bummer. Verse 12, it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Now, you know, the mystery is what does he mean by the word is very near you and in your mouth and in your heart? What does that mean? Um, so we can talk about that some other time. But Biblically, we can do these things, but biblically, we won't. Not even close. And here's a little experiment if you want to test the premise, right, uh, you scientist. Go through this week really, really, really loving your enemy. Pick your worst, worst, nightmarish enemy with all of your heart, mind, and soul. <clears throat> Love your enemy, him or her, or an institution as much as God loves you. And let me know how you did. I'm curious. Bill at gospel app dot com. No judgment. And by the way, I wouldn't have made it a day or even an hour or probably a minute. Just saying, uh, I need Jesus. <laughs> All right. Another question. But Bill, if we won't, right? So we can, but we won't. Something's broken. Why won't God fix us so that we will love him easy, more easily and receive his love more easily? Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus began on that hillside. That's it. That's the whole point. That's what Jesus did for those people. That's what Jesus did for me. I wasn't able to receive God's love. I, I was saved uh, 15 years before I realized that God and experienced God liking me. I, you know, I'm shame prone, but still, 
I imagine I'm not the only one out there. Now, the question you might ask, what about the Pharisees? I mean, you know, it seems like we often pit Jesus against them. Didn't Jesus fix them? I mean, they were, right, able to be fixed. They were at least nominally looking for favor with God. Yeah, of course. I believe that there will be scores and scores and scores of Pharisees in heaven when it's all said and done. And they got there the same way people on the hillside did. They stopped arguing with God and repented over their righteousness. It wasn't enough. And embraced Jesus because his is enough. And they admitted that, just like me, just like you. And there's a, a fear of shame that, that happens as you approach that decision, but the shame's gone once you do. All right, there we go. See, in a rant, I can ask your questions, at least what I think your questions. Please forgive if they weren't, and respond to what at least I think they are. And, and you know, legit or not. Let's keep going. There's so much more. When Jesus speaks of the exceeding righteousness, the bubbling over righteousness, I mean, don't think just uh, keeping the Sabbath day, right? I think he's referring to everything he does and his motivation. He said early on, Luke 4, that he came for the outcast, the beat up, the uh, the abused, the trapped, the oppressed, the hurting, the, the unrighteous, the unbelievers, those who are sick, those without patrons and protectors, those who suffer bigotry and injustice, right? And it certainly means Partly, this righteousness is to care for the for those, to, to get them right. And remember the hunger and thirst for righteousness in the Beatitudes, which we covered a while back. And it appears that at least the caricature of the Pharisee is that they were too distracted about their own rigid obedience to the every jot and tittle of the law to care about hurting others. I mean, I get that, right? And an example, if you want to check it out, is the Good Samaritan parable. They were concerned about doing the right thing, but there was a hurting person there, and they couldn't, they couldn't bridge that. If you have followed this podcast through the Beatitudes, we said that, that these people who are now grabbed by Jesus, right, the people on the hillside, and who are moved powerfully to follow him, will begin to exhibit care for downtrodden others. This is what Jesus' people do, a little or a lot. Those indwelled by his spirit, and because of that, they're going to tend to want to do this other directed stuff, exceeding righteousness a little bit, it should surprise us what happens with our motivation. It seems that we humans in this groaning creation struggle with what Luther called, what Augustine called in Curvatus in Se, the self turned inward, right? A entrenched selfishness, particularly if we've been beat up and less outward directed, less concerned and compassionate towards others. All right, so now we can see how the Pharisees buried the headline. It's not that just that God requires perfect life of obedience and faithfulness. He does, and he's, he can. He's God. Jesus would agree with that, to be sure. Matter of fact, he said he actually fulfilled that, the perfect life. No, the headline is that the Pharisees think that they possibly have pulled it off, or that God will have to end up showing some mercy, or have no favored people at all. If not them, then who? But there's another buried headline that Jesus is all about. How in the world can God himself pay himself for the crimes and disrespect and betrayal of anyone ever? Why would he? But that is what he chooses to do. That's his DNA. That's the why. That's just innate to God. That's his nature. And he extends the Christ gift to the unrighteous, the unworthy, the unfaithful, the disloyal, the hypocrites, the liars, the oppressors, the unbelievers. And by the way, that's everybody, including the Pharisees. These become... Uh, adopted sons and daughters in good standing uh, and loved as much as the father loves the son and the son loves the father. He now says over them that they're enviable. Well, of course they are. 
all because of what he did for them. And that's the headline. Honestly, it's it's so huge, it's unbelievable, and yet perfectly true. And I am counting on it. Uh, so this, you know, this would be a great time for me to take another break to hear from our new sponsors when we come back. We'll get back into the Sermon on the Mount. Please stick around. Hey, welcome back. Um, we biblical theologians can get distracted by good debate sometime. Uh, here's one that is good to bring up here, I think. So, Bill, are you saying that God is savoring, saving everyone? Are you preaching universalism here, meaning everybody eventually gets saved? First of all, no, I'm not. I wish that were the case, really. I mean, I wish that all would be saved. I mean, everybody. I, I do. It wouldn't surprise me if God worked that out, but humanly speaking, as I look into the Bible, there are way too many passages that just don't support that. And my head still argues with itself. I mean, right, remember, I'm shame prone. Like, Bill, if you're saved. Who is God going to exclude? If you're loved by God as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, then come on. Who's going to be denied that? If, if you're in, why would anybody be out, right? But all of that over the pay grade stuff aside, it buries the headline. The stunning and inexplicable thing is bigger than even that. How can God love anyone? Because we're all falling short. We've all been disrespectful and disobedient, ungrateful, unresponsive, unrighteous, unbelieving. We haven't really loved others or God. Nowhere near what we're supposed to do. And yet, God moved from his heart, loves me enough for Jesus to go and take my place. Man, that's the headline that Jesus saved me or you, any of us. That's stunning to me, and I'm more and more grateful the more I think about it. Um, the headline is not whether or not God saves everybody. It's that God could save anybody, and he does. So the big deal is that any of us make it, much less or loved dearly as sons or daughters, all because of what Jesus did, period. That's why he came, not just to be a uh, principle giver, he was that, but also to be a rescuer. He definitely was that. So listen, when we speak of hell, and I think we should be weeping, because that could be me. Matter of fact, it should be me, and yet it isn't. And I'm grateful and sad for, uh, for the others. So to be clear, Jesus is saying this to a very unworthy crowd, nobody doubts that, of people on this slope in Galilee who know that they, this is their hand and heart, they don't exceed the Pharisees' righteousness record. They know that they're in the bottom 10%, or that's gracious, bottom 1%. But on their own, what are they going to do? Now try harder? Get their act together? Really? They have a zero hope of being seen and proclaimed as righteousness by any court, right? Human court, much less God's. They likely have a hard time getting into the temple. After 70 AD, there'll be no more temple. There'll be no more Yom Kippur. There'll be no sacrifice. Then what, right? They are poor in spirit. They're, they cannot pull themselves out of the hole that they've dug themselves into or that they've been thrown into. And all they have is a shovel to dig deeper. They're stuck. And yet, now Jesus comes to rescue them. He's rescuing the helpless. And on that hillside, they see God's smiling face over them. Jesus smiling at them. The, the, the Shekinah glory of God, the Lipne Elohim face shining upon them. It seems that he, God, wants to be with them. He seems to honestly care for them. He seems to respect them and honor them. 
his favor, right? The favor of God himself rests upon them and they're feeling it. God is now theirs and they are God's. That's what Jesus proclaims. The covenant promises to Israel are now theirs and they have the rest of their lives to work that out. But they're in. Jesus now says about them, over them, that the kingdom of heaven is theirs already. The obvious question is, how does that happen? We have been taught that to enter this relationship, the person needs to obey every bit of Torah. You need to be a good person. They clearly haven't done that. The Pharisees had neither, right? But by that scale, they're a little closer to the goal than the crowd in Galilee. So on a scale of zero to 10, with 10 being Jesus, zero being Satan, the righteousness scale, right? The people on the hillside maybe are a one on a good day, right? Is that fair? On a good day. Pharisees, I'm giving them a 1.1, and that's 10% higher. That's significance, but nowhere close to the required 10. Nobody's a 10. That's why we all need a rescuer. And so no one should feel good about their chances by trying harder. Um, like my Orthodox Jewish uh, colleague that, that I spoke about in the last podcast, uh, he's, he's not feeling good about his chances. The Sadducees have at least done the offering thing, right? They, they may not have done all of the Torah unpacked by the Pharisees, but they've done an offering to cover their sin, legally speaking. But Jesus looked over this crowd, uh, right? Not Sadducees or Pharisees and said, oh, no, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven is yours right now. He doesn't mention going to Jerusalem to do an offering. He has this authority. I, I have your back. I'll be your offering. No need to do it. I got this covered. The long-awaited relationship with God that the Jews had forsaken at the exile is now theirs. How? Why? Jesus. So Jesus could have said, my righteousness, what I earn, humanly speaking, by obeying all the law, hand and heart, is so much greater than the Pharisees could ever do that it is as if it were a fountain bubbling over. So I've come so that you law failures can access that and everything that comes with it, including all the love in the universe from God. Pharisees want that. I think they do. Um, I'm going to give them that credit, but they're not going to find it the way they're going, period. They won't. They, Like me, they have to admit that we're headed the wrong direction, and we come with empty hands to Jesus, and we follow him. And, and then, they, then we get what we're looking for far more than we're experiencing now. And this is Jesus's bottom line for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. There's lots of confusion about the path to God's embrace, to being made right with him, righteousness, the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and Moses and David and Israel. It has always been, at least on the surface, that you must be righteous for God to embrace you. But there are two paths to such a righteousness. You can do the law perfectly, zero room for error. Good luck with that. Or someone who is perfectly righteous, who has done the law thoroughly and completely takes your place, Check, 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 check. Or someone who is perfectly righteous, and there's only been one, who has done the law thoroughly, only one, and he completely takes your place in your trial and takes on your penalty of justice in your place. There's only been one. And if you do all of that, number two, the latter, your righteousness given to you not because you earned anything or, or even that you were righteous, it is given to you strictly due to the life and work of Jesus. And, and that's going to far exceed far exceed the Pharisees and Sadducees' righteousness. No one has ever had a higher view of the law than Jesus and what it will take to get adopted by God into his kingdom. So this is the way we should listen and hear the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. 
uh, Jesus is speaking to an unworthy group, and the Pharisees agree with him on the un- unworthiness, but he is going to say that they are already part of the kingdom of heaven, already, and, and each time he, he hits something, he's going to say, basically, imply, look, you should be doing this, but you won't, and you haven't. And so that's why I've come. I've come to not only do those things, but to sacrifice myself for you because you're not going to do it. And if I don't do it, everyone's going to perish. That's what the Torah says. It's a high view of Torah. But I've come to open the door to better righteousness, but you have to get it through me, and to give you access through the Spirit to an overflowing righteousness that cares for others. That's important. I'm going to say a little bit more about that. So I'm going to fulfill the requirements of the law, 100% obedience. Then that's going to be passed on to you under the table into your folder, right, into your human resource folder, and that's yours. Not because you earned it or that you're a better person than the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you're not. But you needed a rescue, not another Ted's talk. I've come to be that rescuer. And all those in me are righteous according to the law. Psalm 1, that's me. Not because of anything they've done, but because of me and what I've done, period. All right, so what about the law? Very important. Does this mean that the law is now done? Can we close the book and go, it did its work, let's just let's put it in a dusty cabinet and let's go do whatever we want? Well, it's a trick question because we're always going to do what we want. That's why we do things. It's our nature. You cannot be commanded to love others, the two great commandments. You can't be commanded to love God and expect that that's going to work because it doesn't really come from our will. Uh, it comes from our midbrain. Love is not a, a choice that, that my prefrontal cortex can make as much as an interior motivation and feeling that's, that's immersed in my midbrain that I have so little control over. Honestly, we must be loved to love. That's true. Um, really loved to love. We must be empowered to love, to love, uh, Ephesians 3, that we might grasp power from God through the Holy Spirit in our inner being so that we might experience the height and width and length and depth of love of Christ for us and for others. It's the passion of the Spirit in our inner being. And the more we access the power of God through the Spirit in our inner being, we begin to access the height and width and length and depth of love of Christ for us and for others, right? We can't do it on our own. We don't have the muscle groups. It's God's love, and we need His power. We humans tend to find it easy to love worthy others, but God's love loves the unworthy others, too. And you know, okay, we should feel that a little bit because the Holy Spirit's in our inner being. It's the love that people see and say, you're Christians. They'll know you're Christians by the love. It's this love that he's talking about, not the love for the worthy, but for the unworthy, a little or a lot. So what if the Holy Spirit in our inner being makes us want to to, to do things lovingly different? What if we begin to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of God for us more so we uh, need to leverage others in relationships less. We need other people less. We can appreciate them, but we become less of people users. And then what if we begin to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of God for others more so that we actually begin to love our neighbor a little bit more and God a little bit more? What what if it's, it should be noticeable as God's power, and so naturally our want to becomes a little more outward focused, a little or a lot. As Jesus said over these new kingdom dwellers on the hillside, they're going to comfort others a little bit more. They're going to seek reconciliation, righteousness more. They're going to hunger after it. 
They're going to sacrifice themselves for others more, not because of the law's prescription that Jesus ramped it up, and now they see it and go, oh my goodness, it's worse than we thought, but because they want to more. They actually become more doers of the law because they're transformed, because we're transformed. So this is the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, and I think they're getting it. They have a little or a lot been transformed. They're feeling loved by Jesus. They're feeling some of the Spirit's love for them. And so when he says this about the law, they're not intimidated. They're not shamed. They're looking at it differently. They no longer feel like shamed failures because Jesus says they're enviable now, and they get it. They've been transformed a little. They are failures, I mean, by their record, but now there's a new power that makes them enviable, makes them want to love others, and, and actually to feel loved themselves. That's, that's, that, that's a trick. So when Jesus says that your righteousness should be greater than the Pharisees, they love it. I mean, they're going, well, of course we have your, I mean, they're getting it somehow. The riddle is unraveling and they're, they're not intimidated by that. They're just feeling love for others a little more, a lot, uh, a lot more than the self-focused Pharisees. And, and by the way, as we proceed through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to basically say when the Pharisees did everything required by their interpretation of the law, they already got their rewards. And it didn't include the favor of God, the very thing that they desperately needed. So for the Christ person, the reward is for people to be rescued by Jesus's love, self versus others. That's our greatest desire because it's Jesus's. All right, uh, deep weeds. For the next two podcasts, we're going to have some fun. I want to read a portion of my new soon-to-be-published novel, The Rabboni. It's a novel about the Apostle Matthew, um, an Atina missionary to Ethiopia, you know, about 10 years after he wrote his gospel, after Jerusalem fell. He's unpacking the Sermon on the Mount in particular, the section in his first gospel. He's answering questions. You know, what did Jesus mean? Was Jesus smiling when he said it? What does it mean to be more righteous than the Pharisees? Those kind of things. So we're going to pick up at a place where Reuben, one of his team members, who is a former member of the Sanhedrin, is explaining to Jewish leaders in a synagogue in Ethiopia how they should figure out and understand all of this righteousness stuff. And by the way, by the time he said it, the temple has been destroyed by the Romans, raised to the ground. So for Jews, there was no more offerings, no more Day of Atonement, no more sacrifice for sin. Well, now what? I think you'll enjoy it. We'll pick that up next time, okay? See you at the next Gospel Rant. Take heart, child of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.